And Brother Hale is looking at scars right now, praising the Lord for his great mercy to him. Uh, we're in Romans this morning. If you'll turn to the 8th chapter of Romans, we've worked down to verse 14. We can read from 11 through 14. Notice how Paul repeats, uh, goes over, uh, approaches from a different angle, but always the same subject. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. That was a verse speaking of resurrection. Therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Here's our verse for today. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon this message only by the work of thy spirit are any of the words worth anything hearts need to be open understandings open including the understanding of thy speaker we ask thee to lift up and honor our lord jesus christ we pray in his name amen led by his spirit for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of God. Now you can play this one forward and backward. They are the sons of God who are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit's work in the redeemed sinner completely takes control of the person's life. The Spirit teaches, reproves, quickens, enlightens, resurrects, and assures of eternal life. I'd say that was quite a friend. If you have the Spirit of God indwelling you, you've got the best friend you could have. Now, we are told several times to walk after Him. That's verse 1. Look at the last part of that. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And also verse 4. It says that the righteousness of the law might be, in us, be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we're told to walk after him, not before him. You know how kids like to pull away from you when you got them by the hand? Well, that's not at all uncommon with the sinner pulling away and then running back in the other direction. That's called backsliding. And the sinner in that condition does not know where they are or who they are. Their conscience condemns them. Guilt hides them away from God's word. And if they have any thoughts at all, they wonder if they are saved. Paul says you don't have to wonder. I'm going to tell you how it is. If you are led by the Spirit of God, you are a son of God. Or in other words, you're his child. Now to be led is to be taken by the hand. Our verse says, led by the Spirit. So the Spirit has you by the hand. And that's not all. The child of God, who Christ gives eternal life to, is safe in his hands and also safe in the Father's hands. 
A lot of hands involved here. If you're a child of God and you do slip the hand of the Holy Spirit for a time, you do not get out of the grasp of God, the Son of God, or the Father. Turn to John 10, 28. I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. John 10, 28. and 29. See, he says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So that's an impossibility. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of his hand. Out of my Father's hand, see. So... There's no sense in being a backslider. We'll start with the words now in our text. It says, for as many. That's a phrase that's inclusive and exclusive. It's open to all the whosoevers. To anyone thirsty. To anyone heavy laden. To the poor. The broken hearted. The blind. The bruised those without strength and ungodly, the sick. Well, who does it exclude? Well, it excludes the rich increased with goods and have need of nothing, the righteous, the whole and healthy, the natural man who never repents, unbelievers in Christ who stumble at the stone of stumbling. See, that's a scriptural group I'll give you one scripture. We can go to that last part where I said the stone of stumbling. Look at 1 Peter 2.8. There are people that will stumble right over Christ. We start with verse 7. 1 Peter 2.7 and then 8. Unto you therefore which believe, he's precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. That's what Christ is to people who are disobedient. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, does that make God sad? Does it take him by surprise? Not on your life. Whereunto also they were appointed. You don't know what you're doing. God does. You reject him. He knows that. You accept him. He's planned that for you. You don't take him by surprise. He's never disappointed. Okay? But Paul does a better job at separating the as many. He says as many as are led by the Spirit of God. Now we can divide the world's population into two groups. One group, those who are led by the Spirit of God. And group two those who are not led by the Spirit of God. Well, which group pulls the majority? Those not led by the Spirit lead by at least a million to one. So isn't the majority usually right? Not in spiritual matters. Our Lord sums it up in Luke 18.8. Take a peek. Luke 18.8. Kind of a prophecy here. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? 
That's just another way of saying that God's people will be very rare when our Lord comes back. Why should that be when religion seems to be on the upswing? There's no end to churches. There are many great denominations. There's plenty on the TV and on the radio. Some preach in jails. Some are in jail. Can the majority be wrong? They sure can. Our Lord calls all that the broad way. Okay, turn to Matthew 7.13. Peek at that again. Matthew 7.13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Now, that's where the many go in thereat. Now compare words in verse 14, the next verse. There it says, few, few that even find the narrow way. It says, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Did you ever give that some thought as to why they don't even find it? First of all, it's foreign to them. We, all of us, are born and raised on the broad way. The wealth and glamour of the world is a support and upkeep of the wide way. It is decorated with beautiful church buildings, spacious theaters, elegant schools, huge athletic stadiums, comfortable automobiles. And both sides of the Broadway is wired together with a cable that goes into every house and gives them a moving picture of what goes on along the Broadway. The Broadway abounds with music and laughter that somehow covers up the violence and hatred, the immorality and disease and the enmity toward God and his book, and the greed and lust that abounds in every heart. It's kind of covered by music and laughter and joking. There's a natural satisfaction for their place in the wide way, and most generally, a willful ignorance of the narrow way. In their lifetime, they have heard rumors about the narrow way, and it holds no attraction to them. The best they can say about the narrow way is that you have to be narrow-minded to even want to find it. Well, there's a big difference between the facts and rumors. The facts are found only in God's Word. The rumors are produced by ungodly parents, the school systems, newspapers, TV, and tragically, from the churches. Now, just in those two verses, Matthew 7, 13, and 14, you have the facts of many and a few. Broadway and a narrow way, and destruction and life. Now, pair them up. Put type with type. And here's what you get. Many, Broadway, destruction. 
few narrow way life. That's what the verses teach. And the trip down both of those ways is not measured in miles. It's measured in years. It is very certain that sooner or later you come to the end of your way. <laughs> now let's see some of these ways the way man looks at it. First of all, turn to he Hebrews 9.27. And uh, I'm sure you know that one, Hebrews 9.27. As it is appointed unto men once to die... But after this, the judgment. So that's an appointment that we're all going to keep. But turn to Proverbs 12.15. Proverbs 12.15. <coughs> middle of the Bible, right after Psalms. And that says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. So they have their own way. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. And then one more while you're there in Proverbs 14.12. This sums it up for you. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And that generally applies to everybody. They have their own way. Now we have they have their own rights. Everybody's got their rights, and that's what they're fighting for. You know, there's an awful lot of people say they want justice. Boy, if you got justice, you'd be in trouble. I don't want anybody's justice. I want mercy. That's what I need. Okay, in our fact book that we're reading, our Lord wants everyone to evaluate which way they are on, Broadway or narrow way. Turn to Mark 8. Look at verse 36. Mark 8, 36. Here's a summary of life. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Good question. You ought to ponder it till you get the answer. Now let's see why the narrow way is hard to find. The fact book told us that the end of the narrow way was life. So who's interested in life after death? That's not the philosophy of the world systems. What the world teaches and everyone believes is perfectly described in a beer commercial. You only go around once, so make the most of it. Get all the joy and pleasure that you can squeeze out of life now. It's no surprise to discover, therefore, that false religion is short-sighted and prefers to offer its followers their good things today. And Satan well understands that sinners prefer their blessings now rather than later or tomorrow have just enough religion to guarantee heaven just in case there is such a place. Now the whole structure of life on earth as we now know it should be looked on by us as only temporary and soon to be abolished. Now I'll give you a few scriptures. I'll show you how the Bible 
tells you that. These are like signposts posted along the narrow way. First of all, Romans 13, verse 11. And it'll be progressive. We'll go toward the back of the Bible from there so you won't have to go forward. Romans 13, verse 11 and 12. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Back a little bit further. 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29. But I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that they both that have wives be as though they had none. And they that weep as though they wept not. And they that rejoice as though they rejoice not. And they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world is not abusing it, for the fashion of this world passeth away. All right, 1 Corinthians, but 15... In verse 24, 24 through 28, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. One day there's going to be no more faith. There's going to be no more need of a mediator. The Lord Jesus Christ will revert back to God. That's what it says here, but I, I think the Lord Jesus Christ, being God, will always be the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, because Brother Hale's songs wouldn't be right if he's always going to be looking for scars. Philippians 3, 19 and 20. There's mysterious things in the Scriptures. You can't understand them all. Philippians 3, 19 and 20 says, Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mine earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. Speaking about the Lord coming back. No more nice guy. It should be 2-7. Oh, I'm in 1 Thessalonians. Maybe it is 1-7. Let me see. Yeah, 1-7. You see, he came the first time as the suffering Savior. The perfect God-man. Never sinned. But that's over. There's no more of that. When our Lord comes back the next time, he's king. And there's going to be the wrath of God displayed by our Lord coming back. And here's what it tells you in verse 7. And to you who are troubled, 
rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Something, huh? That's his coming again. Turn to James 5. Look at verse 7 through 9. James is a book we don't get into very often. It's just before Peter. James 5, 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Strange that all the apostles, everybody in the Bible, talked about the Lord coming again. And do you ever hear it from any of your friends or anybody you work with or anybody you see? Does anybody talk about the Lord coming back again? No. Uh -uh. I never found it. And it's not a subject they want to talk about. It's like, what are you talking about? There's no such thing. It can't be. They would rather believe in the Flash or Superman or something like that, but not the Lord coming back again. You know why? They don't believe he really exists. They don't believe there's a God. They don't believe God's word is true. That's the whole problem. One last scripture, 2 Peter 3.10. 2 Peter 3.10. One last scripture for this group, I mean. Okay, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Well, that's that's another part of the second coming. That isn't the initial part, but that's coming to pass too. Don't ask me how. Don't ask me how people survive it. I know that the two Hebrew young men that were thrown into that fire that was so hot that it killed the men that tried to get close enough to throw them in, they survived without even smelling of smoke, so the Lord can preserve his own. Now, in other words, reading these scriptures, the apostles insist that we keep in mind the end of the way that we're traveling. There are only two ways and two ends, wide and narrow, destruction and life. Our verse says, as many of us are led by the Spirit of God, so far we know that the normal natural person does not have the Spirit of God and cannot find the narrow way. And so how does the change come about? Well, there are several factors involved. They are all mysterious and they're all of grace. Now in John 3, verses 6 through 8, our Lord states both the necessity and the only means of being born again. Turn to John 3, look at verses 6 through 8. John 3. He was explaining it to one of the better religious leaders of the day who had no comprehension that any such thing existed. John 3, verses 6 through 8. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, and so is every one that is born 
of the Spirit. Now, it's the mysterious work of the same Spirit that our verse says leads the believer. That's one factor. Now, another one is preaching. I know the world doesn't give preaching a very high rating because of false teachers and preachers. But there was prophesied that it was going to be like that. Look at 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. We've always been warned that that was going to happen, so it's not to be surprising. 2 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. The way of truth. Nobody wants to hear it. That's how God saves a sinner. But regardless of the smoke and haze and the detours, there stands 1 Corinthians one let Let's turn there. 1 Corinthians one twenty one. It's the second part of that verse. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, it's like saying you will like the despised way or go to hell. It pleases God to save people by preaching. Do what? Save the soul? Well, who's interested in the saving of the soul? Or who even knows that they have a soul? You see, that's the subject of preaching. If you don't hear it by preaching, and preaching by the word of God, you never find out your soul is lost and needs to be saved. It's still mysterious how God the Spirit takes a message or even a word home to the listening heart and makes it alive. That's what happens through preaching, even through reading God's word. When I say makes it alive, turn to Ephesians 2.1, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's Ephesians 2.1. This is the clearest explanation of what happens when God the Spirit touches a normal heart. It says, In you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, if you are led by the Spirit of God, as our verse says, this is an event in your life that you will never forget. The time when you were quickened. Now, just like in the song by John Newton, Amazing Grace, where he says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. The sinner knows when he was lost and the sinner knows when he was found. Do you remember the first time you met your husband or your wife? Do you remember then your wedding? Did they both happen at the same time or on the same day? Of course not, and neither does salvation. The Spirit has a work to do. Turn to John 16, 8. John 16, 8. I'm going to show you the work of God's Spirit. 
called the Comforter in the verse above. But it says in verse 8, when he has come, he'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It does not happen in one day. The preacher has a work to do, and God has a gift to bestow, which is repentance. Now, in those early stages, the Spirit doesn't always lead the sinner, but sometimes gets behind the sinner and gives him a good kick. That's why our Lord says in Revelation 3.19, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Look at it. Say, isn't that strange? The person that you love, you rebuke and chasten, that's exactly how God saves a sinner. You've got to be chastened over your sins. You've got to be rebuked about them. Let's read it. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be zealous, therefore, and repent. That's one of the last words our Lord said in the book. He also said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, there's more to salvation than fun and games. Because we are sinners, we must be rebuked and chastened. And because we are children, we must be rebuked and chastened for two reasons, being sinners and children. God works according to his own word. Turn to Proverbs 19.8, and I'll let you see what that word is. Proverbs 19.8. This is having to do with children, correcting children. He that getteth wisdom... Loveth his own soul, and he that keepeth understanding shall find good. But turn to Proverbs thirteen twenty four. This is the one. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes, or often, many times. You see, our verse today said, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It's working up to the fact that when God saves a sinner, he adopts them into his family. See, that's in our coming lessons. Right now we have the sinner with spiritual life not knowing it's a gift of God. The sinner is lamenting his sinful life, his sinful past, and his inclination to sin. That's when the Spirit's working a sinner over. They don't know it. They're miserable. They think that nobody else has ever gone through this. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe they're not. They can't figure it out. That's God reproving and chastening you with your own sin. The sinner wonders where he is. He's on the narrow way and doesn't know it. Well, he's coming to Christ, and we find that Christ is the way. Turn to John 14, 6. John 14, 6. One of the most remarkable scriptures in the whole Bible. It is the most dogmatic in the Bible. This is the one that tore up the Jewish religion. Made them hate them so bad it was shortly after they crucified him. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now do you understand that this had never happened before? With the God-given religion that the Jews had, they never came by a human being. Even though it was prophesied that they were going to have a Messiah, it didn't dawn in upon them that God would be manifested in the flesh. And so here's God himself in a body of flesh and blood saying, No man cometh to the Father but by me. Boy, that's dogmatic. You can't get any more dogmatic than that. And that's what separates the Christian religion from everything else in the world. They all have their gods. But none of them have a God-man who's resurrected. Okay? That's the difference. Life in Christ. There's no other God. Mohammed, Buddha, none of them have ever risen from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ did. Had many, many witnesses. He was God. The spirit leading the elect sinner does not only reprove of sin and convict of unrighteousness, but he teaches about Christ and glorifies him. That's John 16, 14. John 16, 14. We read verse 13 also. How be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he'll guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So, God's Spirit is the only reason why you can understand prophecy. He'll show you things to come. There's a lot of people say, I don't believe in studying prophecy. I don't believe that it's important. It is important. It's in God's Word. The book is prophetic from one end to the other. And he'll guide you in all truth. Where's the truth? It's in this book. See, so anybody interested in their own soul, anybody touched by God's Spirit, immediately has a very keen interest in the Word of God because it's their only source of knowledge. And then verse 14 says, He shall glorify me. Now, our charismatic friends today glorify the Spirit. The Spirit did this. The Spirit said that. The Spirit did this. The Spirit did that. The Spirit glorifies Christ. When people talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have true religion. It's not talking about the Spirit. It's not all this waving and going and having hot streaks and speaking in tongues and healing people. The Spirit glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. You see it? Simple. He shall glorify me. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. That's as much as we'll have today. It's just a blessing to be led of God's Spirit. And that same Spirit is going to resurrect our bodies and give us the new bodies that we desperately need because they won't sin. They won't sin. That's the difference. Bodies of flesh and blood sin. The bodies of flesh and bone, resurrected bodies, will not sin. And they will live forever in the presence of our glorious God. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank thee this morning for this fleeting hour 
How wonderful to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ. How wonderful to know that He's given us a comforter that reproves and rebukes and brings us to the feet of our Christ for Him to grant us pardon and life eternal. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you've given us an understanding of what it is and that thou hast given us a people interested in hearing for eternity. We ask thee to quiet our hearts, prepare us for the following service. We ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.